Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadu. Tonight, I'm here with... Eno Safo. And coming up, over the next 90 minutes, the pastor at the center of allegations of wrongdoing at the National Cathedral to sue the member of parliament for Northtown, Samuel Okujetua Blakwa, who has come out with that expose relating to some monies that were paid to the pastor's company, or what he says is the pastor's company. We'll be hearing more on that. Also, coming up, it is the race for the NPP flag bearership. As ministers resign from the Akufado government, we hear from former Attorney General, former Minister for Railway, the noble Jogati, who has publicly declared his intention to also join the race. And later... On Eyewitness News, Ghana took its first delivery of oil under the Gold for Oil program. This is our test cargo. This is the cargo to test the framework to see if everything that has been put in place will work. And by the grace of God, I, it's clear that the framework will work. Vice President Dr. Mahmoudou Baumia celebrates government's gold for oil deal, which has been met with controversy, but which has also seen the delivery of 40,000 tons of petrol and diesel, the consignment arriving in Accra or Tema on Sunday. Stay with 97.3 CTF and for more on this and many other stories on eyewitness news and in business stakeholders within the pension sector push for a relook at the mode of pension indexation in the country that's in 50 minutes with Netili Neti of the city business desk eyewitness news is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations in the western region we are on premier 100.5 FM in Takradi beach 100 105.5 FM in Takradi and Sky Power 93.5 FM also in Takradi. If you go to the Bono region, we are on Greener 95.9 FM in Sunyani. In the Ashanti region, we are on Orange 107.9 FM in Kumasi. In the Volta region, we are on Aquini Radio 96.7 FM in Kwando, as well as Heritage 107.3 FM in Hohwe. In the Northern region, we are on Dasuma 99.1 FM. In Yendi, in Upper East, we are on Word FM 88.3 in Zwarungu. We take you to the Upper West region where we are live on Westlink 88.1 FM in Laura. And in the Northeast region, we are on Eagle FM 94.1 in the Vice President's hometown of Wale Wale. Do send your reactions to the stories we are bringing you on WhatsApp. The number to send your message to is 0549 Nine nine six zero five four nine nine eight six nine nine six. You can also go on Twitter and drop your message using the hashtag City Newsroom. Tweet at Umaru Sanda. Alternatively, go on Facebook. We are streaming this program live on Facebook or at City FM's Facebook handle. 
drop your comments there and you get to see what's happening in the studio as well as hear what the big stories for the day are. Eyewitness News is effectively airborne from number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka in Accra. My name is Umaru Sanda Amadu and I'm here with Eno Safo. Our first story has to do with the man who replaces Nana Adodankwa Kufado as leader of the NPP. He has led the party in two consecutive, not two, actually, he's, well, he's won the party uh, victory in 2016 and also in 2020. He would be done his, with his term by 2024 and on 25th January, uh, for January 7th, 2025, a new president will be elected for the Republic of Ghana. The NPP would have to put up someone to lead it into the race that will result in the declaration of a winner for the elections of 2024. Uh, lots of uh, ministers have been resigning. We are told that is the reason they are doing that. We'll be talking about that. But before then, the gold for oil deal is something that has been floated by the government, championed by the Vice President, Dr. Mahmoudou Baumia. Over the weekend, the first consignment arrived. The Vice President has been celebrating that. And will tell us more. Vice President Dr. Mohamed Ibaumia says government's decision to use the country's gold reserve to buy oil for domestic use will help reduce pressures on the forex. Ghana took delivery of its first consignment of about 40,000 metric tons of oil from the deal on Sunday. Speaking at this year's New Year School of the University of Ghana, Dr. Baumia says the gold for oil deal is the best for the country. Take the case of gold in Ghana. We've mined gold for over 200 years. When I looked at the data, realized that our total reserves of gold in Ghana was just 8.7 tons at the end of 2021. The largest gold mining, uh, one of the largest, we are in the top 10 in the world, but we had not accumulated enough gold build our reserves. We looked at the other side of the balance sheet. We export gold. We import oil. The cost of oil imports is about $3 billion a year. So we asked the simple question. Why don't we, since we have always got pressure on oil, why don't we rather reach an agreement to exchange our gold for oil and then sell the oil in CDs, then use the CDs to buy more gold, use that gold to pay for oil, sell the oil in CDs, and then you don't need to look for, the, for scarce foreign exchange to buy oil, which always leads to a depreciation in the currency. So with this idea, we said, let's do something that the textbooks don't teach you. Let's do something that is out of the box. And this is why we said gold for oil. And we quickly looked at this and we negotiated with the suppliers of oil who were very, very excited and happy to receive gold in payment. Thankfully, yesterday, uh, I think... Yesterday was Monday, right? Yes, yesterday was Monday. Yesterday, Ghana took its first delivery of oil 
under the Gold for Oil program. This is our test cargo. This is the cargo to test the framework to see if everything that has been put in place will work. And by the grace of God, I, it's clear that the framework will work. And if that should happen, we are going to save a lot of foreign exchange and reduce the pressure on our currency. Vice President Dr. Mahamudu Bahamia there. Let's speak to people who understand the industry and ask them what they make of this. Nana Moisi, the seventh, is Executive Director of the Institute for Energy Security. He's joining us on the line. Nana, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. This is a novelty, but is it also the solution? Thanks for having me, Omar Sander, and good evening to you and your listeners. As to whether this um, can resolve the current issues we have in the downstream petroleum market, um, the IES cannot say for sensitivity. What we know is that um, we've seen in many other countries where oil has been used uh, as a butter for other products, but we've not seen one that uh been done with gold. In uh, Iran, 1990-95, Iran ran a program, oil for food program. Nigeria is currently running crude oil for finished product program. Uh, although all the two uh, examples are fraught with wastage and corruption, we are yet to see how Ghana's um, program will pan out because we believe that the devil is in the detail. We are not privy to the whole arrangement, we are not privy to the contract, and so we cannot say whether that is sustainable or that it's going to bring us any form of uh, affordability in terms of uh, fuel price. The argument is made by critics that there is nothing like cheap oil, and that if we get cheap oil, it will ultimately affect us. Is that the case? Of course, um, fuel is a commodity, and um, Oil is also a commodity that's traded internationally on a transparent platform. And so everybody, every player in that space knows the factors and dynamics that uh, induce the price direction. I read in the Ghanaian daily graphic that a 41,000 metric ton of diesel that has arrived has cost them about $40 million. When you strike, you'll find that it's going for $976 per metric ton. Last Friday, the price of diesel on international markets was going for $900 per metric ton. And so just going by that, you can tell that we are bringing in this product at a premium, not at a discount. And so we've not seen any clear indication that we're getting this uh, from a supplier at a discount. And uh, currently, what the BEDC are also bringing, uh, the discount rate, uh, the premium rate they are bringing in the product covers between $100 and $120 per metric ton. Supposing government gets its premium far lesser or lesser than what the BDCs are bringing, let's say they have uh, a savings of uh, $50 per metric ton, how does it translate into savings for the consumer at the pump? On just um, uh, a back of the envelope uh, calculation, you'll find that it's not going to be more than 20, 26 pesos per liter. 
that's what we are going we have identified but tomorrow we also want to see how much um uh, you know that to what extent this cargo can induce or influence the market this is just about 40,000 metric ton we consume as a country 150,000 metric ton on monthly basis so this parcel of product 40,000 metric ton is just for a week seven days how 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 can it influence the market maybe there are more parcels coming the initial the initial indication we got is that you are bringing two cargos on a trot, 80,000 metric tons for diesel. Then next week or so, they will bring another uh, 80,000 metric tons for uh, gasoline, that's petrol. But here we are today, and Sunday we've not got any indication that another vessel has filled. But then what we have today is a gas oil vessel of 40,000 metric tons. All right, now... The government has given indication that this is going to be a weekly affair, which means that we are likely to see another docking of some 40,000 or even more, uh, maybe in the coming week. While we work at that, this idea is primarily intended to help with the CD's depreciation against the dollar. However, we also expect to see some improvement at the pumps. The government is using BOST, a state institution, with Go Energy, which is, um, well, I don't know whether I describe it as a state institution or a private institution or an institution that the state has interest in, which would then supply to Goyle and other OMCs if they so wish. The idea is that it would drive the cost of fuel at the pumps so that if BOST brings in cheap fuel and gives it to Go Energy, Go Energy gives it to Goyle, other OMCs would then be forced to also reduce DS or come and buy from BOST or maybe go energy. Do you think that is a way that would um, possibly be used to reduce the price of fuel at the pumps? Because ultimately, that's what we want. Well, uh, Omar, so we'll wait to see. When we got indication that the government is putting up a framework uh, around gold for oil, um, how we understood it, well, the industry's technology is that they are bringing in crude oil because diesel, by definition, is not oil. It's fuel, and so it's a byproduct of crude oil. If government had brought in crude oil for thermal oil refinery to refine, then we can be assured of, one, supply security. Then we work towards the price dynamics as well, or the price security as well. But then we are prioritizing importation of our own indigenous uh, natural resources and assets. We produce oil, for God's sake, of tenfold, jubilee for Sankofa, GME. Ghana has a stake in this production, and uh, we have disconnected Ghana's parcel and our own upstream sector from the downstream when we have an asset of more than 40,000 barrels per stream day to refine. So my refinery is sitting idle for the past 18 months. Um, we don't know how we are connecting our own resources and assets to bring us that sort of relief that we are seeking. And uh, we are waiting, uh, certainly rather waiting to uh, patronize somebody's uh, crude oil and finished product. I think that is uh, quite uh, unfortunate. Very well. Since you've mentioned Tor, let me just ask you a question I asked someone just today. 
if you were in charge of the affairs of this country, what would you do with Tor? Would you privatize Tor like we did to Ghana Telecom in 2007? Would you just close it completely and say, listen, it's a pure scrap metal site. Let's sell it to the scrap dealers. Or you would pump money in there and fix it and keep it running. We, we cannot scrap Tor. Tor has uh, the crude distillation unit. 45,000 barrels per stream day. They have the RFCC residual fluid catalytic cracker. Um, also, um, a machine that can work. What we can do is to expand tall. What we need to do is to upgrade the existing facility or infrastructure to bring it to a level where it can crack uh, crude oil to meet uh, uh, European standards that has been set for everybody to follow. That's what we need to do. But then we be also believe that government, government cannot, you know, um, put together that sort of uh, investment and cash flow that all require to root to its system. And so it is allowed, and we believe that the private sector can provide that needed fund to revamp and uh, expand it. Uh, hopefully, we believe the private sector can inject that uh, sort of efficiency and competence that we require. Tall um, can work just like gold and uh, even become bigger. We all understood at a point that gold was for uh, the state. But then the state opened it up for other private players to come in. So from the IES deck, of course, we, government can hold a minority stake in uh, Tor for private players to come in. Today, we have a private uh, refinery coming up and you, 45,000 barrels per stream day. Hopefully, by end of March, the land size of that refinery is just, is just about 20% of Tamara refinery. What can't we use Tor to do? Last story tank size, they already have the jetty system, they are pipelines. We can only seek funding and expand and upgrade the system. Very well. Thank you so much for speaking to us here. Thank you, Marcel. That's Nana Amoisi the seventh. He's executive director of the Institute for Energy Security, IES. This eyewitness news on ninety-seven point three CTFM. We still have more on that, don't we? You know. Yes, we do. So, uh, still on this policy, that's the gold for oil policy. The executive director for the Chamber of Petroleum Consumers, Duncan Amwa, says the layers created in the transaction process may actually increase the price of petroleum products at the pumps. Uh, we know that for 41,000, you could do about 10 days maximum. Um, and then again, that's enough volumes to trigger a certain price movement. Uh, we are waiting for, you know, cost of landing the product. Uh, what exactly they are also going to be quoting, uh, to BDCs to, uh, off take to, I mean, OMCs. Uh, whatever happens, you would have a certain um, financing uh, that would need to be disclosed. And we are waiting for those numbers. Uh, whether we're able to land the product cheaper than the BDCs have been able to do, or these products are coming in rather more expensive, as I'm hearing, uh, in certain quarters it could be more expensive because we have created other layers, right, mm-hmm. that would come in as additional cost. Initially, it was oil trading company, OTC, BDC, OMC. Now you are going to have PMMC. You are going to have an intermediary that pays to the OTC. 
you are going to have OTC, BDC, uh, OMC still. And so those layers that we have created, uh, we'll be excited to see at what cost would that come uh, on the eventual price of the product itself. And that is why we are asking for uh, how much it costs to land this product and how much uh, we are likely to sell uh, back to the market, particularly the OMCs. You heard the executive director for the Chamber of Petroleum Consumers, Duncan Amwa. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF, and we have more coming your way. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are broadcasting in the Western Region on a number of affiliate stations, including Premier 100.5 FM in Takradi. Now, Takradi is a twin city, Sekendi, Takradi. The Member of Parliament for Sekendi is a former Deputy Speaker of the House of Parliament. He's former Minister for Railway. He was also Attorney General, the Honorable Jogate. He wants to now be the flag or torchbearer of the governing New Patriotic Party. He's joined us on the line. Good evening and welcome to Eyewitness News, sir. Good evening. Well, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I don't know if it would be a good question to ask why you want to run for president, or I should just ask why do you think you are the man the MPP should use to replace Nana Kufado? Well, the, uh, both questions are almost the same. I think that it's very simple. I mean, you... You have we have a leader for every time, and I think this is the time that you need a leader like Jogati, somebody who has gone through the mill. As it were, I mean, when I was Attorney General uh, under President Kufuor's government, you, nothing happened without the Attorney General's uh, okay, so to speak. I mean, I remember breakdown negotiation. I was there, energy. I was there, in sports. All the and everything, agriculture, food, involved in everything. Then after that, we became deputy speaker. People underestimate the role of parliament. But I think now that it's wanted, it's not wanted, they'll become clear to people that um, governance is not just from uh, the executive, but the legislature is also key. I, I was deputy speaker for four years, and I worked very well with Honorable, right Honorable Dwaja, who had Honorable... Um, uh, and the third deputy speaker, Honorable Bartin Odro. Indeed, in, in our time, both of them would uh, first do a job, sit for a while, then he gives it to Bartin Odro. And the hand over to me, and people were in Parliament at that time would tell you that I'll be the chair till about 10 o'clock in the night. And what it was was that you had to even be pay attention to when they were sitting. Otherwise, when you come and take the chair, uh, they, will, they will confuse you, they will. They will Try and reintroduce something that they have been turned out earlier on. So I had to keep my eye on the ball. And thankfully, that also gave me great, a lot of exposure. And then I went to the railway sector, which, in my view, and I stand to be correct, of course, is the most difficult infrastructure sector to do. I mean, you want to put the port, you go into the sea. You don't deal with issues of uh, land, land, uh, land, uh, land rights and all of that. People demanding compensation. Build one kilometer of railway line. And you see the number of people who come and claim rights on that land. So I think that by God's grace, I've passed through the mill and I have the experience and expertise at this time to present myself to the good people of Ghana and to give them that kind of leadership that they will need from day one. This was the time for us to have experiments. You must have the experience and I think I have this. It's interesting that amongst the achievements, you mentioned your immediate past job in, exec- in the yeah. executive, which is where you were the Minister for Railway Development, a new ministry yeah. created by the Akufado administration in its first term. 
in my view and in the view of many, the biggest problem for you at that ministry is that you promised to deliver us sky trains. Six or seven years on, we don't even have land trains. How do you defend that? If you hadn't asked me this question, I would have given you a present. Because <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> because for you, that's your biggest question you can ask. I'm, glad, I'm very glad you asked that question. You must understand, first of all, I must tell you clearly what happened. In 20, we were approached by South Africans who said that they could build a sky train on a BOT basis, build, operate, and transfer. Because the amount of money that they were talking about per kilometer, we didn't have it in the budget. What I had been given, or the limit I had been given, was a limit of $2 billion. And that $2 billion was going to be used for uh, the Pakada railway line and the Western railway line. And also, if you remember, one media review budget, then the finance minister mentioned $200 million to start the Accra to Kumasi line. And so these people came in 2018 and said that they would do BOT. BOT means build, operate, and transfer. And so they did an MOU. We signed an MOU with them. And they came back after doing some initial studies, um, what I'll call a pre-feasibility study or a feasibility study, and said now they were in the position to do, uh, to go for it and raise money and so on. They had talked to African Development Bank and so on. So uh, we should sign a concession agreement. I said to them that uh, they wanted it for 30 years. I said to them that there's no way I can sign an agreement for a fixed term of years unless I have not a feasibility study, but a complete costing of the project. And that is the basis upon which I can say I've been an attorney general before. I've been, <laughs> so I don't sign contracts for nothing. Well, 2019 we went to South Africa. We signed the contract, and they were supposed to come and do the full feasibility and then come out, then we can we can finish uh, doing all the conditions present for the contract. You know that even if the contract is signed, it brought to Parliament. That doesn't mean to be finished. STX was brought to Parliament. At the most, President said that he has sent President Obama to South Africa to put a nail in the coffin. South Korea. If you look at the, oh, South Korea, yes. If you look at the contract that I signed, there were 10 conditions precedents. One, it had to, you have to finish your full feasibility. Two, it had to come to Parliament. It had to go to public procurement agency. It had to do a value for money audit. It had to go to... I mean, there were about 10 conditions precedents. What people don't understand is that you can't come into Ghana and tell me that I'm going to do beauty. And I'm sitting there and I'll just sign and give you a 10 and go. No, so I didn't do that. 2019, 2020, <laughs> the South Africa was locked down. I wonder whether, Omar, you had a special uh, permission for them to come. and come and uh, do the full feasibility. They couldn't even leave their country. Yeah, you know that there was lockdown. And if you ask me whether I'll do statue when I come, that's now I don't know the fact. What I know that I will do is that I'll put an eye on the railway and we need a form of rail system within Accra and within Kumasi. Because we cannot continue having I mean look at the petrol crisis that came recently. If you had a train <laughs> it would have changed everything. In what country, developed country in the world do people depend solely on car? So it's a no, it's a it's a non-brainer to me. I mean, it would transform this economy. If you look at the history of Ghana, listen, the Gold Coast was about one third of the size of Ghana today. It started the railway line. The British started the railway line in 1898. There was a debate between the the miners and the agriculturists where they should start from. 
The miners wanted them to come to the western region. The Alcatraz wanted the eastern region. The miners won. Because at that time, the governor was a guy called Mackay, who had come from Bali, where they had used tin for railway. He started the railway line in 1878. He reached Kumasi in 1905 years. He, reached, he went to The plan was not to go to Kumasi first. They were just to go to Obuasi and where the, the gold is. But when, after the Asan Tower War in 19, uh, 1901, they decided to go to Kumasi in, by 1902 to enable them to take soldiers there. At that time, as you are well aware, Tetekwashi had brought Koko to uh, the eastern side of Ghana. Somehow, the Koko found its way to the western side of Ghana. Within 30 years, by 1930, because of the railway line, West Africa, Ghana had become the world's largest producer of cocoa, and, and it had become the richest British colony. Railway infrastructure will transform our economy. I have no yeah. doubt about that in my mind. Oh, oh, well, so there's no doubt about the essence of railway. I'm, I'm, yeah. I've been pushing for that myself. Many people push that transport sector yeah. is what we should fix. You were given four years to fix that. You did not do it. I mean, you didn't deliver the sky train. You've just explained why. But you didn't even deliver any rail line at all. In fact, as we speak, the rail line that was signed by Mahama's government before they left, the one to Mpakadang, is still under construction, even though it looks very good. I have seen it. As we speak, okay. I don't remember but the last time I saw a train move from Tema or Nsawam, not Nsawam, uh, Amasaman. To Accra That's Central. Right. It's something That's I usually see, even though they are rickety, except for the one that Atamil's brought, the one with the Ghana flag. We don't even see them moving at Kwame Nkrumah Circle anymore. People have literally put kiosks on the rail line because they know that nothing is going to move here. And I'm saying that you had four years to fix that and you did not fix it. Why should we That's then give you a bigger job of being the president? That's why I totally disagree with you. When I was, when I was Mr. Borrell, the trees started moving. And is it, is it the one point. that derailed in the western region? But, but, oh, I mean, the, the wheels were moving. And let me make let me make the point that the first the trains that the the what they call the uh, the one the Ghana flag was it was first brought by Kufo. Kufo brought it was Kufo who brought it, not Jomama, not Atanos. Which one? Kufo. I'm referring to the the one that is in Ghana flag, the red, gold, green one. That one I recall it was there, brought by Atanos. Four red, gold. There are four red gold green ones. There are oh, four. Okay. Kufo bought two. Atamus bought two. No Kufo problem. Kufo bought two first. No yes, problem. And under your administration in four thing, years, you didn't bring a single thing, code, did you? The second thing is that because we're changing from narrow gate to standard gate. You see, what about the railway line? The railway, you see, if you are building, the narrow gate is, the, the railway runs on a gate. Yeah. Not like the road. Now, we decided to change from the narrow gauge to the standard gauge. So, during my time, that was when we were building the new standard gauge lines. And let me say something. You say the contract was signed by uh, John Mahama and so on and so forth, or at the most. It's a, it's a continuum. That whole project was first designed under President Kufo. That was when all the flexibility, everything was done. I don't expect that when I leave, the thing that I started, I started there. Uh, line. I started the line that today is going to uh, to Takwa and beyond over 100 kilometers, but I've left, so the next minister is continuing. And so, if the lines are not running now, when I was there before COVID, we had we had done the Accra Tema line. It was running before COVID. We were running the the Accra Takwa line. Yes, it was once, but it was running. 
because we're still running on the narrow gauge and we are still building the, the new standard gauge. In fact, standard gauge line was built under my time. And that for the contract that was designed by President Kufo and was designed by, it was signed by Atenos, was Accra, Tema, Akosovo. It wasn't Tema Bakada. And that contract could not be executed because at the time it was signed or designed in 2006, we didn't have all the sets that we have today. But the minute I became the old minister, I went to look at it. I said, well, we can't go 60 kilometers, 60 meters away from the Akosovo Dam. And we can't have a rail line which is passing through the Akosombo Dam. I asked the engineers whether it would affect the Akosombo Dam. They started arguing with me. I didn't know there were as many opinions as their engineers. And then I said, well, put it down in writing. And they said to me that they cannot guarantee the integrity of the dam because that place is rock. So you have to dig a tunnel 1.3 kilometers. I wasn't going to get the show with the, the Akosombo Dam broken down. And so what happened was that the contract was dead on our arrival, which was me, who advised President Kufada and Cabinet that we can go across the water region. And then we decided to go to Impakana. And okay. that also began the journey to Burkina Faso. Final one on the real sector. The South African company, did we pay any money to them? Not my ministry. Okay. Let's move on. The MPP as a party is what you have to lead first before Ghanaians yeah. would give you the nod if they want to. What is your constituency in the MPP? Why should they go for you, considering the other people you are going against? So, so, no, but I'm losing you. I think the point about what you are saying, this whole thing, is that I have given my word that I'll run a decent campaign. And I'm going to the MPP directly to talk to what I will say for the for the for the for the benefit of all listeners, including those who are not in MPP, is that at this time I think I'm best. Oh, oh, but there's a problem with your with your with your gadget. Um, I'm hearing you uh, with an echo and sounding muffled at a point. Uh, can you try and reestablish that point? Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes, better. Thank you. Okay, I said that I have given my word. Uh, to uh, the two former president, also to myself, that I'll run a decent and neat campaign. There are things that I must say to only MPP members, and I know that your station is for uh, is for the general public, the public at large. So all I'll say is that I'm of the firm opinion that at this stage of Ghana's uh, uh, development, I have what it takes to lead Ghana, and I'll give you. Solid and honest leadership. Solid and honest leadership. If you were the one yeah. faced with the current economic quagmire, what would be your leadership? Would you... Well, su- okay, do you subscribe to the current debt uh, restructuring program by the government? But what I'm happy about this is that, is that disclosure has been postponed once more. And I would say that we need to engage a little bit more. And I'm happy that the finance entity, I think it's still the third time it has postponed Disclosure. So what does it tell me? It tells me that the finance ministry is listening. And and let me just uh, talk to you about this economic difficulties we are in. So much negotiation is going on at this time. What I know uh, from uh, from business and from law and from everything is that when two parties are negotiating, if certain people state certain positions, it can affect the negotiation. If I wasn't Running for presidency, if I was, uh, 
if it was I was not a member of the party, I was not a senior member of the party, I would be be able to put across so many things. But I think that just now, if I have solutions, I should say it inside. And in fact, I'm saying it inside. All I'm saying is that government is listening more, and I'm happy. But of course, if I was the leader today, uh, there are certain things I would do. I would cut certain expenditure. For example, in the area of CSHS. Uh, and nobody should quote me wrongly. I'm not saying that our body is CSHS. It will exist as a general rule, but I'll make exceptions. Article 71 of his holders, for example, will not enjoy CSHS. You want to be a minister in my government, then you want to enjoy CSHS. You want your children to enjoy CSHS, then leave it and, and, and then go and enjoy CSHS. There are several categories of people who I think can afford and they must afford. If you are a single mother, and it, like my mother was a single mother who was a teacher, of course, CSHS is welcome. And so I have been through that situation before, so I expect it. But Dugati in his present position should be able to pay his children's school fees. And in terms of ministers, the size of government of this current uh, president has been questioned a number of times. You were part of his bloated government in the first term. Would you go with that same line, appointing 111 ministers, if you got a nod to be president of Ghana? First of all, I take exception to your characterization of his, his presidency as Bluted. No, not his presidency, uh, his government. His government as Bluted. I take exception to that, because it was, it was part of his philosophy at the time. And let me tell you something. When I was attending general, the president wanted to create a new ministry, ministry for admission. And I said to, and you know, the attorney general does the ally that uh, creates the ministry. The executive, sorry, the EI, the executive instrument. I asked him, well, why do you want to create a minister for admission away from transport? And he said, well, when sometimes when you want to focus on something, you create a ministry for that thing. After you have achieved the aim, you can bring it back. I think that if President Akufuadu had not created a ministry for railway, you wouldn't even ask me questions about railway. At least, at the very least, you are in a position to ask me questions about it. When even though you think that nothing has been done, I can tell you that since independence to when he created the Ministry for Railway, no, there's not been any error that as much railway has been constructed. Uh, the term Pakadam, which you say was done by, in, in, in some other time, I disagree with you. It was, the construction was a for those times. He was not had any obligation to do it. And also over 100 kilometers from Accra to Sorry, from Takwari to Huni Valley, signed another contract for 60 kilometers from uh, from around uh, Kumasi to Obasi. And so perhaps if it didn't happen, if it was just part of transport, I don't know, uh, somebody has been a transport minister, perhaps you wouldn't have focused there because it's quite a difficult thing. The yeah. question is that we still need the railway ministry and what are our current circumstances. If I was president in our current circumstances, I don't forget that one person who followed key, by 2019, we're growing at a rate of 9%, which is remarkable. Mm. But just now, we have a post-COVID situation. We have a situation on our hands. I have a maximum of 60 ministers, 19 cabinet ministers, 16 regional ministers. That you have to do is constitutional. Every region must have a minister. That takes you to 35. We have 25 ministers more, deputy ministers and then ministers of state. I have a maximum of 60 ministers. Wish you all the best, and thank you for speaking to us, sir. Well, thank you too, and God bless you. I was going to say, I was going to say thank you, Your Excellency, but I've, I've withheld that until you, you get you get elected. Well, you must. I heard you must be in the. You see, you nearly prophesied, but you lost the opportunity <laughs> of prophesying. <laughs>
But thank you to your listeners to at least we invaded their privacy uh, today. And even if they didn't agree with everything, I say thank you. Very well. But, 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 but so, someone is just nudging me to ask you this. Whether, does it mean you've kissed second goodbye? Oh, that one I said it before. I mean, Esikado, sorry. I said it before the election. Before the election, I was interviewed by by Radio 360, and they asked me that question. And I told them that I, I won't run again. And then, as I said, Radio interview, I said I won't run again. So okay. I've kissed goodbye. Very well. Thank you so much. We'll do another interview later where we'll do an analysis of your servitude. But thank you and have a good night. Have a good night too. Thank you. That's the noble Joe Gatte. He's member of parliament for Isikado Ketan, former minister for railway. Let's talk to someone else who wants to run for flag bearership in the new patriotic party. Dr. Kofi Konedo Apreku served as a minister for various portfolio trade, uh, regional integration and NEPAD, all under the Kufo administration. He ran in the elections of 2007, the primaries. Uh, he did not do it. He did not, he did not succeed. Now he wants to run again. Why? Doc, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Hello, Doc. Can you hear me? Dr. Kofi Konedo-Apreku, can you hear me? I think we do not have him. We'll try to reestablish connection to the former member of parliament and um, have a have a chat with him and on this is um, intends to lead the flag bearership of the new patriotic party we'll take a quick break and return for that please stay eyewitness news be there as it happens you welcome back to eyewitness news on 97.3 ctfm the new patriotic party uh, would be electing a flag bearer to lead it into election 20 24. number of people have already declared their intentions. Um, two ministers at least have resigned. The Minister for Agriculture and the Minister for Trade have resigned to run for that office. Uh, we do know that the Vice President would be running. It's not being publicly announced yet. Now, we've just heard from the Honorable Jogate, former Minister for Railway, announcing publicly that he's also going to run. Another person who intends to run is a former Member of Parliament for Offenso North, former Minister for Trade, Minister former for Regional Integration and NEPA, Dr. Kofi Konedo Apreku. Doc, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much. Where have you been? Well, I thought perhaps you knew that I had taken a position with the ECOWAS Commission for the last four and a half years. Okay. And I was the Commissioner for Macroeconomic Policy and Economic Research for the 15 member countries. And that's what I've been doing over the last few years. I just completed my assignment and obviously anxious to join the political race here. So came back home and I started the process. I visited so many constituencies and regions and that's what I've been doing. Mm. The former president Kufor gave you a job to be in charge of integrating uh, uh, Africa uh, under the new partnership West Africa. For, yeah, under the new okay. partnership for Africa development, NEPAD. Yeah. Now you're also talking about this commission of yours. Since I've been a child, or since I was a child, I've been seeing a huge billboard that said there was going to be a currency called the Echo. Should yeah. we blame you for the reason we still don't have the Echo? Well, I think it may not be appropriate to blame me. The issue is bigger than myself and goes beyond me. Obviously, this has been going on for 30 or 40 years since this process started. I've been party to this during the short period that I was Minister for Regional Cooperation in Nepal and therefore in charge of uh, ECOWAS. 
And then obviously I went again for the second time, this time as a commissioner. It is a very difficult process. You know, you know, structurally, we have 15 member countries. Each has its own economic uh, situation, challenges, opportunities, and different management techniques and, and expertise available in this, in these countries. My job was to coordinate policies and to give coherence, to provide guidelines and to monitor member countries how they perform. In other words, every year during the first uh, semester of the year, we send our professionals from ECOWAS to go into individual member countries, assess how they are performing. If there are areas that we think they are not performing well, we draw the attention to, we work with them to ensure that they have the appropriate policies and the reporting mechanism that allow us to monitor. So we've been up and down. There are times we miss so much progress, but we have set what we call the convergence criteria. Mm. Criteria. Member countries must meet certain macroeconomic policy conditions, such as uh, debt-GDP ratio, inflation rate, uh, GDP growth rate, and many others that will allow the countries to have basically common development agenda and all things being equal, credible development patterns, so that when we form a, a union, monetary union, it will not be just bringing weak countries and weak economies together and not getting the benefits of the integration. Mm. Therefore, it's taking us a while. 2020 was our deadline to the last deadline that um, we were supposed to have started the new currency. Unfortunately, we could not get enough critical mass, enough countries that are met the criteria to form a credible uh, group or credible currency. So we postponed it to 2026, and we are, yeah, I'm no longer there, but I, I know that they're working very hard, the presidents and the minister of finance and the governors that are involved with us in this process mm. have given their commitment, and we're hoping that over time. This year, the last few years, everybody is playing, blaming COVID. And, but the impact on the COVID on the member countries is a cumulative impact on ECOWAS. And so we all suffered significant losses because of COVID. We have, we have started the march again with significant improvement in economic performance of many of the countries. And hopefully we will get there. Okay. Doc, doc considering your background as former minister for trade, I believe that that would be an, an area you'll be considering because this government had said we're going to move from taxation to production. They talked about 1D, 1F, a number of things in the trade sector. We always complain about why we have to go to Burkina Faso to import uh, tomatoes when we have polugu, which was left for us by Kwame Nkrumah. Even your own village of Akumadan is something that you have in abundance. Is it mm-hmm. a policy problem or it is, I, I don't know, what do you think is a problem with our, with our food well, security? It's lack of adequate commitment. Policies are just on paper. Human beings make them real and make them work. You can have all the ideas you want in the world 
the most important ones is the implementation. And therefore, you realize here in Ghana, and I'm not particularly citing this government, we have not been very effective in implementing policies that we have outlined because the measures to ensure that they are, they are undertaken are usually not followed and the processes are not examined so critically and over a specified period. So we have good programs on paper. We start, we get excited, but over time, we don't carry through, and that is the problem. There are so many good ideas that we have embarked on in this country, but now where we stand, we have to go back and look at the processes what mechanisms we put in place to ensure that we accomplish and what mechanisms are put in place for correction. They should be spelled out, they should be underlined, they should have the time frames, they should have the organization or agencies that are in charge of monitoring to ensure that actually results are delivered. I think not Ghana alone. When you have not been able to achieve your target, you cannot complain. You can't make a case except to admit that we have not. All of us were excited about this one district, one factory concept. It's an excellent con, con, uh, concept. I supported it. I was the campaign manager at the time, and I contributed to sharing ideas on it. And I thought it had it could significantly impact because why? Look at our country. Every region has resources that are plentiful in supply. We have enough technicians in our system that we went out there and targeted specific regions with specific projects that are available in terms of the resources within that particular place. Then all that is left is one implementation, two monitoring, evaluation, and actualizing the projects. So this is the area that I think perhaps we need to do more than we have done because the concepts are there. In many instances, even the resources are there. So what is the missing link? The missing ingredient is lack of ability to supervise and get the resources and make sure that the resources that are located are used effectively for the project. And, And in many instances, we find that this is not the case. Okay, let's conclude now. The last time you tried to be NPP flag bearer, you pulled 19 votes, and I mean 1-9, when others were pulling over a 1,000 votes. Why do you think the NPP delegates would give you any better votes now? There's time for everything. You may also wish to record that the first time that I went, I was number three. I did far better than I did now. In the last instance, well, there are many reasons for that that I don't need to think per- perhaps this is the case. But I'm convinced that things are, times are different. And I've been around the country. As I indicated earlier, I've been in 14 out of the 16 regions in our country today. And I'm confident that my old experience is not what is prevailing. Tremendous improvement. Well, I've had a lot of experience over that period, and I think I'm better positioned than ever before to, one, lead this country, and, and to begin with, to win this uh, election and to lead this country. 
even though you were coming against strong names, one of them was on the ballot with you. He has always been considered the de facto number two when he went against Nana Kufado in the past. I'm referring to Alan Chermantin. Now, we do know that the vice president has an interest. Other members who are in active politics now or who have been in government in recent times are planning to do so, including the Minister for Agriculture, former Dr. Efri Akoto. All of these people, you think you stand a chance against them, considering that they I had chance... very, they, very tall among them. My experience is overwhelming. Practical experience in managing economies, practical experience in dealing with the current problems, my experience, my knowledge of this party from its formative period, what we stand for, where we are going, I believe I stand better, I have a better chance than anybody in this race to win this. And the proof of the pudding is in the evening, isn't it? Yes, it indeed. We, we wish you all the best and we look forward to the, the contest. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Doc. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. That's Dr. Ko, that's Dr. Kofi Apreku. He's former member of parliament for Offenso North. He served in the Kofor government in various portfolios, including Minister of Trade, Minister for Regional Integration, and NEPAD. He contested in 2007. He was part of the 17 NPP presidential hopeful of Flagbearer hopefuls. He like I said, they're pulled 19, but he says he's very hopeful now that he will do better and beat all the others to the, to the flag bearership. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's talk about the National Cathedral, now, shall we? Hello. Head pastor of Power Chapel Worldwide at the Center of Corruption Allegations in the Construction of the National Cathedral Project, Reverend Victor Kusibuateng, has described an expose by North Tong MP as defamatory. A statement signed by Reverend Victor Kusibuateng, who is also Secretary to the Board of Trustees, says the statements by Mr. Blakwa are a twisted narration of events to pursue a malicious political agenda. He further notes that he will avail himself to the Commission of Human Rights and Administrative Justice following the MP's petition to the anti-graft body to investigate a conflict of interest allegation. He has, however, indicated that he would continue to contribute his quota towards the construction of the National Cathedral and would seek redress against Mr. Ablaqua. Now, the Conference of Heads of Assisted Secondary Schools says some schools across the country are struggling to feed students due to the inadequate food supply. The National Food Buffer Stock Company, which is in charge of disbursing food items to their respective schools, has come under pressure over the delay in the disbursement process. Speaking to City News, the president for CHAS, Reverend Father Steve Oususetre, urged the National Food Buffer Stock Company to expedite the disbursement of the food items to avert further challenges. Some schools have received items um, when put together could not be used to feed the students. For example, yes, if you deliver beans, maize, rice, and maybe um, gari to a school, uh, you don't expect the school to use those items to cook for the students. I hope, I hope you bear with me. Yeah. You are with me. Yeah, because you don't give me oil, no sugar. So I cannot use those items to feed the students. So there are some items, they should be delivered together. Uh, so if we say some items have been received and that the school should be able to cook, then it means that those items are items when you put together combined could be used to feed the students. Mm. And I speak to you now, some schools are finding it difficult to feed the students because the items received 
uh, some of these items combined cannot be used to feed the students. This is where we are. So in some regions, some schools are finding very difficult to feed the students. And we are in touch with them to push them to go and do the needful because without those uh, items, we will not be able to feed the students. Reverend Osusech also disclosed that schools are yet to receive areas of food feeding grants to ensure the smooth running of academic work. The feeding grants, something has been given to us. Um, um, we, we vacated with some areas. You understand? We went to the market and bought on credit and fed our students and, we've, and, and school vacated last year. So we were pushing the ministry and the GES to give us uh, um, the money to go and pay our, our creditors. And um, something like that has been given to us. So... Uh, we are still pushing for them to give the money to us to pay our creditors. That is what we are talking about. And apart from that, we have what we call recurrent money. That, apart from the parish habit, the money that we use to run the school, maintenance, stationary, examinations, and all that, those mm-hmm. ones who are in arrears. So mm-hmm. we, are, we, are, we are pushing for the money to be given to us. Reverend Father Steve Oususetre is the president for the Conference of Heads of Assisted Secondary Schools. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netilinete Ajahu. Let's settle for the details. The Africa Center for Retirement Research is calling on the Social Security and National Insurance Trust Net to relook at the mode of pension indexation in the country as a difference between amounts payable to the highest and lowest earners are unequitable. The Social Security and National Insurance Trust last week increased monthly pension payments by an average of 25%. By the increment, the minimum paid pensioner will receive 430 Ghana cities while the highest paid pensioner receives a little over 170,000 Ghana cities. Addressing the media at a press conference in Accra, Executive Director of the Centre, Abdullah Mashoud, noted that the system must cushion members on low pensions in conformity with the solidarity principle of social security. Moving on, government is urging both local and foreign investors to commit capital to government's industrial transformation agenda. Government maintains that its flagship program, One District, One Factory Policy, has afforded investment opportunities to boost the local economy. Speaking at the third Malta Ghana Business Forum held in Accra, a Deputy Trade and Industry Minister Michael Otribefi entreated stakeholders to explore the diverse business avenues under the policy. The government of Ghana, when we assumed office in 2017, came out with a very ambitious 10-point industrial transformation agenda. And one of the key points in this agenda is the policy of 1D1F. The policy of 1D1F has come to stay. It's like social media. You cannot say that you want to see it. It has come to stay. And it is doing very well in this country. It's an opportunity for businesses in Malta or businessmen in Malta to also think about this policy by setting up in, in this country, anywhere in this country, especially outside Accra. We believe that there are a lot of opportunities here that you can take advantage of. And so you can also take advantage of this policy. There are a lot of good incentives, math, what trade incentives are available for investors who want to venture into, into, into this area. And uh, the support that you'll be giving are also well-established and very secure. 
That was the Deputy Trade and Industry Minister Michael Otribefi. Meanwhile, the Minister for Foreign and European Affairs and Trade of Malta, Ian Borg, said Maltese are committed to a win-win partnership between Ghana and Malta that will see the economic growth of both countries. I would like to emphasize the Maltese government's commitment to work side by side with the Ghanaian government to keep on strengthening our mutual beneficial partnership in all areas. With this in mind, I look forward to the official opening of the Malta High Commission in Ghana later on today. Our representation will help cement Malta's bilateral relationship and provide a strong platform for business opportunities between our countries to flourish. I sincerely look forward to learning in the immediate future that this event has paved the way for tangible, increased networking opportunities between the two business communities. That was the Minister of Foreign and European Affairs and Trade of Malta, Ian Borg. The Ghana National Gas Company Limited says it's working with key stakeholders to ensure that the price buildup of LPG remains stable. The state company maintains that LPG has to be readily available to consumers to mitigate the instance of carbon emissions. The Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana National Gas Company Limited, Dr. Benjamin Asante, made these comments at the State of the Agency's report forum. The ministry had a hand on the presidency as well. That is how important the thing is. So now that we do everything we can to make sure that we just bring this Now, when it comes to the pricing, you must understand that there is a slate of prices or a price builder. The commodity itself is one but there are others that also contribute to the price. And we are talking to all those stakeholders to ensure that the price uh, of the commodity to the end user is something that will be reasonable. So that is the uh, So what I think we are trying to do now, and we've talked to PRC and we've talked to the different actors, that that is is going to cut even our price. That is the Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana National Gas Company Limited, Dr. Benjamin Asante. Meanwhile, the LPG Marketers Association has indicated that they will increase the price of the commodity by the close of day. The prices of petroleum products have gone up marginally due to the depreciation of the city and a slight increase in the price of crude oil. Petrol now sells at about 13 cities, 90 pesos, from the 12 cities, 40 pesos per liter, while diesel is selling at about 15 cities, 60 pesos per liter. Speaking to City Business News, the Vice President of the Liquefied Petroleum Gas Marketers Association, Gabriel Kumi, explained that the increments has become necessary because they are buying at a higher rate from the BDCs. Yes, definitely we have intention to increase. From today we are going to increase prices as well. How much up will that be? It's going to go up by like one city. Okay. Currently it's being sold around by 11 cities, 80 pesos. Going forward we are going to sell it around around 30. The cost price of the products has increased. So we have no option than to also increase prices. We used to buy it at uh, 9 cities per kilo from the from the BDC. Now we are buying it at, uh, at around uh, 10 cities, uh, 20 pesos from the BDC. So the BDCs have increased their price by about one CD, 
20 pesos. And we, we also have no option than to pass that to the consumer. We began the second window yesterday, so immediately we we even started changing some of the prices. Gabriel Kumi is a vice chairman of the LPG Marketers Association. And that's all for City Business News and Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netili Neti Ajaho. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. I am Omar Sandamari. Tonight on Point Blank, the Public Accounts Committee of Parliament has resumed sittings and has been inviting public officials to come answer questions. Today, the committee invited officials from the Sports Ministry, led by the Minister for Sports and MP for Yagba Kubori, General Yusuf Mustafa, to come answer questions on the Auditor General's report. Deputy Minority Leader James Kluchi Aveji chairs the PAC, the Parliament's uh, account, Public Accounts Committee of Parliament. So let's go now and hear what transpired today. The issue here has to do with lodgement of uh, 11,220, according to the auditors, between July 2019 and July 2020. This amount was dispersed, the authority dispersed, National Sports Authority dispersed this amount without first lodging the amount into the, the bank. What do you have to say about this? Chairman, I will ask the Director General for the National Sports Authority to respond with your permission. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Uh, yes, indeed, this was uh, in the Kufuridia, one of our directories. Uh, so, as the law requires, we uh, mobilized the IGF, and then at the time, we were to lodge the money, and then NSA receives 40% of what we generate. In fact, due to challenges with the releases of funds, the government of Ghana funds approved by by Parliament, uh, we had a lot of challenges, so we wrote through our sector ministry uh, to the finance for for them to review the sharing, because most of the years, Sometimes we do not even get releases from the controller and accountant general. I think that request uh, had been considered favorably, and currently, as we speak, uh, we have 66 percent to the National Sports Authority, and then the, the 40 or 30, 34 to the the uh, finance. That after that, we we've been able to um, 
manage with it and now we launch and we have indicated to all our regional offices also to launch whatever money that they um, uh, generate and then uh, for their, their share to be given to them. Honorable Chair. My brother, I think uh, the latter part of it, you have answered your own question. My question is, there are 11,220 between July uh, uh, 2019 and July 2020. That was what happened. So according to auditors, the edge management is strictly abide by the regulation, but the amount, did it happen or not? Yes, so the, the, when we received the report, we wrote to the Kuforidia, because this happened in the Kuforidia, for them to confirm as to whether this amount was indeed not lodged. Uh, it was confirmed to us recently, and steps have been taken to pay back that amount that belonged. Yes. I think that is fine, but uh, as you are saying that now you have got the, the clearance that you can spend after a certain amount. But this was a mistake that Chairman, I think, uh, uh, I don't know. The auditors, unfortunately for me, the auditors did not talk of refunding the money or paying the money back to. But I think, uh, Mr. Chairman, if you can uh, probably see that they did not get the approval, but they spent the money. By going forward, as we talk today, now they have got the approval of about 30 something percent. But that money was spent without that. The auditors did not recommend for refund. So the chairman is aware. So the chairman handles <laughs> Auditors, are you satisfied? You have not recommended any refund or whatever. Now they say they have the approval. Honorable Chair, our recommendation was first, uh, they should load the amount into the non-task correction account before the split is done. But what they were doing was own account and the spend. So once they are doing the right thing, and we don't have any problem as to how to refund or something. That one is left to the Honorable um, Committee. Yeah, so you spend without authority. Now you have authority to spend. So we are going to ask you to refund this portion from your future uh, revenue. So the recommendation is that clerk take note. The authority must refund this 11200 back to non-tax revenue account. Let's move to the next one, paragraph 271. When an employer interdicts an employee, the employer shall pay not less than 50% of the employee's salary for six months during the investigation, disciplinary, or criminal proceedings of an offense for which the employee has been charged and pay the salary until... Uh, the decision has, has been brought to finality. In this case, it appears that we delayed either in uh, one, started the half payment, the 50% payment, and then also we delayed in bringing to a conclusion the matter within six months. Indeed, this issue happened in 2018 uh, in relation to the number 12 expose, uh, which was... Uh, uh, led by ANAS, and a number of officers then uh, were affected, including my own predecessor, who was the director general then. Uh, so all of them were actually um, interdicted, 
and the investigation was directed by presidency. Um, they were investigated. Some of them uh, were exonerated. Uh, others uh, were found culpable. This particular individual was part of them, those to be investigated. And to date, uh, we haven't received a report on him from the investigation. We've done a number of uh, uh, follow-ups at the, at, the, at the police service. I will also confirm to us that indeed they are investigating the officer, but then it was commissioned, the investigation was commissioned by the president, so they will submit their report there, which we did a number of writings through our sector ministry to the presidency for the report to be issued, so that we will know whether the person is found guilty for us to be act on it or is to be reinstated. Till date, uh, we haven't received such a finality. It has been a challenge for us, indeed, officer uh, who is also involved. I am of the opinion that you have to make a determination on your own. So what you are telling me is that even beyond this period, he's being paid. Is that, is that what you are telling the, the, the committee, that he's still being paid, although he's on interdiction? Because a determination of either guilty or not guilty has, has, has not been arrived at. Yes, the officer is still on interdiction. Yes. The, the question is, is he still being paid the same salary, or have we now corrected to 50% even? Where are we? So, on interdiction, he gets 50% of his salary. Yes. So, we've corrected the wrong. Is that what you're telling us now? There was a period where you were paying him full salary, although he was under interdiction. He has always been paid ever since he was put uh, on interdiction. He wants to take 50%. And this auditor's findings were that if he was to be found guilty, then it lasts for six months, and therefore all the other payment that came after the six months, which was still part of the 50% paid, would have been recovered in favor of the state. And that it still stands, uh, the determination has not been uh, made. And this is a report uh, up to... 2020. In fact, if he had appeared here also earlier, because petition was made even to our governing board, and they also advised that we still should seek the advice of, from the presidency. And I think the honorable chair, uh, with your good advice, direction, will help us to be able to bring finality to this particular matter. I, I, I think you are shaking your responsibility. In fact, I am of the opinion that you have the right to make a determination, regardless of what the presidency might come up with. And I really think that after two years you're not being fair to this gentleman especially if he's innocent because with this tag he cannot get employed somewhere else and this is a tag that you not you per se but the institution has put on him. And I think it's been very unfair and I really think that per, forgive me but per my determination two years is too long and, and do not pass on the decisions some determination if you're firing him Fire him. If you're not firing him, we have to come to a conclusion so that this state matter has to be brought to a, you know, a conclusion. I'm, I'm, I'm entirely not happy. Two years is a long time. Mr. Chairman, I think this is above my pay grade. I'll let you handle the rest of this, Mr. Chairman. Yeah. Um, who is to make a determination whether he's, it is, I mean, is guilty or not? Who is to make the determination? 
the decision. As of now, if the, the CID uh, 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 outfit of the Ghana uh, Police Service, they are the ones handling the matter. And um, when was the last time you, you visited them for, for to see what is happening to the case? In fact, uh, a, a number of times we have written... When was the last um, time? To the... the, the Service, eh? yes. Last year, but I can't confirm the actual date. Um, I remember even the Labour Union, uh, the Labour Commission, the gentleman uh, said we have written to them, yes, to the police. Yes, we have a number of. You them. have a copy of that letter, Chairman. We will furnish you with some of these correspondence uh, and the petitions that we gathered uh, over this period. You have it's, a not, it's not here yet. Uh, yes, you have copies. Yes, sure. Have yes. you really written to the police? Yes, please. We have. When, we have, when we have written write? to. We've written to. Where did you write? Where did you write to the police? When I, I assumed office 2019, we wrote a number of letters following up. The legal unit, which is also under us, has also made uh, um, follow-ups. At some point, the gentleman was even at the Labour Commission, and we were invited last year. Uh, all of us appeared before the Labour we have all these correspondence that I can make available copies. Uh, right. to you, you knew you were coming to answer questions on this particular issue. Did, why didn't you bring the necessary uh, correspondence? Uh, the, the one from the Labour Commission, um, we have copies here. About the latest. So as I indicated, I can make available all the correspondence. I've been a bit disturbed by this particular matter. Uh, and that is why we... Uh, yes, yes, officer. Yes, yes. We are not disturbed. We are not disturbed. Because if it was you who have been on half salary for three years, I'm sure you would have taken some action. You would have sent... sent I'm surprised the guy is still hanging around and not doing anything about it. Because you are not showing any concern at all. And you knew that you are coming to this committee to answer questions on this particular matter. And you say you didn't bring any document and we should, give, we should not give you any time to go and bring the document. We don't have them. What, what did you say the Labor Commission has said? I was asking you about letters you have written to the police, and we are talking about Labour Commission. Why? Uh, excuse me, sir. Could you could you state your position again? Yeah, Director General, National Sports Authority, sir. Director General. Yes. I have a credibility issue. This case is about three and a half years old. 
What have you done about it? <laughs> the very first time we, we yeah. are discussing this particular issue, sir. Yes, just yes. answer my question. Those letters you say you've written to the police, yes. can you give us a copy? That is what I indicated to the chairman that I'll make them available because, sir, what did you think you were coming here to do? Didn't you know that these, you have been cited for these items? Then you come and sit here in presence of the uh, committee, you tell us that you bring it later on. Did you think you were coming here for us to ask you how you were doing? Uh, chairman, thank you. Uh, if you are pursuing a criminal matter against the gentleman, it does not detract from you handling internal disciplinary inquiry matters. That is to determine his status, whether he remains in your employ or not. So he can be your employer and still go through the criminal prosecution if you determine that he, he deserves to be in your employment. You can also make a determination and terminate him, whether it's fair or not fair, that termination can happen and still pursue the criminal prosecution. So, so by any means necessary, lawfully, you must exercise the internal mechanisms under the Labor Act to determine his fate. Because given his circumstance now, he's pursuant to the Labor Law entitled to only 50% of his emolument. Not the emolument, in fact, his salary, because other allowances will not be paid until the final determination of the disciplinary issues. And I recall, if you say that this matter didn't come I recall that last year, sometime, when we met here, either June or May, this matter came up. We don't want the auditors to flag this matter later this year. So please... We are directing that you deal with this matter as the, as the head of the institution, effectively once and for all. And what is delaying the determination by the Labor Commission? Mr. Chairman, as I indicated in my earlier submission, um, because the investigation was commissioned not by us, but then we were to act to make the officer interdicted, so we were we indicated to the Labour Commission that we have we are still pursuing to get a, a, a report, in fact a directive, for us to be able to even know the outcome of that investigation. You know, the announced issues, uh, most of these evidences are not uh, available to us. The police has them, and they say we did not commission that investigation. But this is 2018. The interdiction took place in 2018, June. And so it's well over three years. Don't you think that the matter has been prolonged too much? Indeed, indeed it is prolonged because at the time before my predecessor, then there was acting that general, uh, my own brother, uh, Alaji uh, uh, Majid Bawa. He even initiated this uh, process of the interdiction. And then I came in 2019. But it's, it's been yes. delayed too much. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. And I'm not sure that um, the last time that Labor Commission called this case is, I'm sure it will be more than six months or a year. So it, virtually nothing has been done about the case. 
nothing is being done about the case. Now, I want you to finish the committee with the correspondence between your office and the Labor Commission. And uh, Clark, then we are going to recommend that the Labor Commission expedite action on this case um, so that they can come to early determination. All right. That will be all for you, uh, but I think there is some public interest question from uh, Deputy Rankin. Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much, Chairman. Minister, um, it has to do with the Black Stars. Um, I know that immediately after the, the finals of the World Cup, countries who, uh, for one reason or the other, lost their or uh, sacked their coaches have made a force to recruit new ones. I know of Portugal, Belgium is doing the same and all of that. But I do not see that from Ghana. Um, what really are you doing? Because it looks like it's become a matter of public interest. And every Ghanaian who loves football and follows the Black Stars would want immediately a, a new Black Star coach. So, Minister. Th thank you so much, Chairman. Chairman, yes, indeed, after the World Cup, countries that lost their uh, head coach have made effort of replacing them. And you've mentioned countries like Portugal, France, and uh, they've even renewed. Some of them contracts have been renewed. In Ghana, the FA, which is the agency or the organization uh, in charge of making sure that uh, they hire a coach, is in the process. And uh, I personally have engaged them, and uh, they are working to us at last week. The indication was that they will bring the final report to the ministry, possibly this week or next week. And because uh, I also know that uh, we have an assignment in March and we need to have a, a replacement of head coach in place so that he can start preparing in earnest to get our team in place for the Afghan qualifiers which is going to take place in March. So indeed the country should be assured that the FA is working to ensure that we get a replacement. So that's the Minister for Youth and Sports and MP for Yaba Kubori, Yusuf Mustafa speaking before the Accounts, Public Accounts Committee of Parliament. That will be it for Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Umar Rusanda Amadou. Production by Beverly London. New media or social media support from Edwin Kwakofi. Technical support from Oakland and so We return tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening and good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and on Twitter at City 973.